0: Hear now the very word of God as it is given to us in the book of Exodus, reading from chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and a broad land. A land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And may the Lord bless that reading of his word to our understanding this morning. Let's ask him to bring it alive. Father, as we talk about the subject that is so relevant and so important and so necessary for each and every one of us. I just pray that you'll give me the words, that the words that I will speak will be the words that you would have me speak, that if they're not your words, Lord, I don't want to say them. If I'm not speaking correctly of what your scripture says and the redemption that you brought through your son Jesus, I don't want to say them. But Lord. If indeed I am speaking for you, I pray that these words will hit home with every person, whether they are here or whether they're watching over the internet, that we will understand, oh, the greatness of your redemption, the greatness of your love for us, but also the necessity of that redemption and how it only comes from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, my message tonight is pretty simple, straightforward. Uh, It centers around a central thought. And I want to go ahead and give you that central thought right up front now so it'll be in the back of your minds all the way through the message. And that is simply this. Only a holy God can redeem that which is unholy and make it holy again. Let me repeat that. Only a holy God can redeem that which is unholy and make it holy again. In the unfathomable distance of eternity past, before the world was made, there was nothing, nothing existed except God. In fact, that's the way the Bible starts, in the beginning, God. Now, the Hebrew word that is used there is Elohim. And Elohim speaks of a creator God, of an all-powerful God, of a transcendent God, of an unapproachable God, of an unknowable God, and a God who determines alone what is right or wrong, a God who stands in judgment over all who would either be in His favor or not in His favor. Now, that God created all that is, and He made an absolutely beautiful universe, He made a beautiful world and he filled it full of beautiful creatures and he made the human race, two humans, Adam and Eve, and placed them in that garden and and, and made them exactly the way he wanted them. Now, here's what I want you to see, and this is of vital importance, that when Adam and Eve were in the garden with God, they were holy, they were righteous, they walked with God, they were in his presence. They didn't have to hide from Him. They were actually made the way God wanted them to be made. But God requires one thing out of those who are going to be in His presence. And that is that they are obedient, that they are faithful, that they are subordinate, and that they abide by His commandments absolutely to the letter because God is absolutely and perfectly holy. Well, you know what happens, you know, that sin... ...entered the garden through this, the snake, the serpent, Satan... ...and Adam and Eve were tempted and they fell. And everyone knows that story... ...but I think that what we don't realize is the distance of that fall... The height between the holiness that they had when they were in the presence of God and the place to where they fell when they disobeyed God. See, to us it's no big deal, okay? So they ate some fruit that was different than what God told them to do. We do worse than that every single day. But you see, we aren't on their level of holiness. I mean, if you can imagine the Mount Everest 500,000 times higher than Everest, and you have a little bird at the very top of that mountain, and it fell out of its nest, and it fell all the way down from that into a sewer full of filth, rancid and disgusting. That is exactly, well, that's not even, that's not even close to what happened when Adam and Eve fell out of the holiness that God had placed them in in the garden. Now, almost immediately, God started a plan because he loved those he made in his image. And immediately he began a plan of redemption. And all of the history of humanity, everything that is in the Bible, all the way through is the history of God's plan of redemption. In fact, he started it right away, Genesis 3.15. He told the serpent that the woman was one day going to have a seed that was going to crush his head. And that's the story of redemption. Now, those of you who have been here know that we've been talking about the holiness of God now for quite some weeks. And we're going to continue that discussion today. But we have been tracing the... the 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 way that God has worked that redemption through a particular group of people, starting with Abraham and then going through his descendants, and now with the entire children of Israel. Now, we've traced that. They've had ups and downs. It's been sort of a roller coaster ride. But we've traced it all the way to the point where they were in Egypt under the bondage of slavery to the Egyptians. And that's where we're going to start tonight. I know we've already gone beyond that in our discussion, but I want to go back there and I want to start because what we are going to see is we are going to see God's redemption of His people. We are going to see a beautiful Old Testament shadow of the New Testament reality because when God redeemed us with His Son, it is something that we can illustrate by going back and see what happened. To To the children of Israel. Now as we come upon the scene. You're very familiar with this scene. Moses is flat on his face. In front of a bush that's burning. But won't burn up. Because God has made himself evident to Moses. And what God is doing with Moses. Is commissioning him as his deliverer. Now I want you to pay attention. And notice when I enunciate my words very carefully. Because Almost every word that I am saying in this Old Testament context is going to have a New Testament reality when we start talking about God's redemption of his people from the fall that occurred with Adam and Eve. But nonetheless, God came to Moses and this is what he said. We just read it. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know they're suffering. Now, I, I, again, I know we've already looked over that, and we talked about the anthropomorphisms there. You know, that just means that human attributes that are applied to God, I mean, God doesn't have eyes to see, He doesn't have ears to hear, and He knows everything already, so therefore this is nothing new to Him. But what is important about that, what is truly important, is that even when His people were were in bondage, in slavery. He heard the groans of their hearts and of their souls. Now, I may be wrong and this is my opinion, I can't back it up, but I I don't believe that everyone, all of those children of of Israel who were in bondage in Egypt were crying out to God actively. I know there were some, but I think that after 400 years of slavery, they pretty much given up on God, quite a few of them, and those who did still believe in Him were calling out to Him in that slavery. I mean, they they did turn to idolatry mighty quickly after they crossed the Red Sea. But nonetheless, God tells Moses that I am going to come down. That's what happens in the 8th verse. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. We've talked about the fact that God is transcendent and set apart, but also that He is imminent and that He has come down. Well, the purpose that He has come down to do is to deliver His people out of slavery and bondage that uh, enslaves them at this particular time. And He is sending Moses right into the belly, of the beast, right into the slavery of his people so that Moses will deliver and redeem his people. Actually, Moses is going to deliver them. God's the one who is going to redeem them. Moses box says, God, I can't do it. And God, later on in the 12th verse, says, But Moses, I'll be with you. I'm going with you. I'm not going to send you alone. Wherever you go, I will be there. I will strengthen you and I will empower you. And that's how the redemption of the people is going to happen. It is not going to happen through any human means. Only a holy God can redeem that which is unholy and make it holy again. Now, we're not going to go through the whole exodus. We've already been through that. I'm not going to go through the Passover. I'm going to fast forward to what many of you know is my absolutely favorite picture, favorite story in the Old Testament. And that is the impossible situation that the children of Israel find themselves in by following God out of Egypt. God leads them on the path to a place in the southern part of the Sinai Peninsula, to a mountain where they will worship Him. But they run into an obstacle. Here's a little obstacle, the Red Sea. A lot of water, and all of a sudden, there they are on the western side of the Red Sea, and that's where God actually leads them. Now, I'm told that there was a mountain range to the south, and that there was a mountain range to the north. And the Red Sea in front of them, And all of a sudden, they turn around, and here come the Egyptian hordes, and boy, are they ticked, okay? They have just lost everything because of these children, and that's the most powerful army on the face of the planet, and they have bloodlust in their eyes. They're going to kill everyone they can kill, and the rest of them that they don't kill, they're going to take back into slavery. That is their intent, now, the situation, as far as the children of Israel is concerned, is impossible. And I want you to ask yourself something who's going to save them? Who's going to save them? Moses? Think Moses can save them? He can't save them. He's just a man. Now, he could die nobly fighting them, but he's not going to be able to save them. Do you think they can save themselves? Do you think that they're going to be able to stand against the most powerful army on the face of the earth? No. Do you think they're going to get mercy from the Egyptians who are looking for blood? Of course not. You see, there's no one who can save them except God. And God loves to do this, folks. He loves to put us in impossible situations so that when we are saved, when he does redeem us, that there is no one that we can give glory to except God. And so God redeems his people by parting the Red Sea. And they walk through on dry land. Now this is the most beautiful picture of redemption. And I want to see if I can just kind of spell it out to you. There are two problems that have to happen before they can get over there and be free. And a destination. Destination is simple. It's Mount Sinai. And it's the people who are going to gather there at the base of Mount Sinai when God comes down in power and glory. And they're going to worship him. That's the destination. And we know that. But two things have got to happen before that happens. First of all, they have to leave their slavery behind them. Somehow that slavery is not going to work where they're going. They're going to a different situation. So the slavery has got to be left on the western shore. And so we see this beautiful picture of consecration as they pass through the waters. It's kind of like what the symbol or the sacrament of New Testament baptism is. It is sort of a cleansing. It is a new birth. Because you see, when they enter the water on the western side, they're slaves and they're bedraggled. They're harassed and oppressed. But when they emerge on the other side, they're a holy nation. They're a kingdom of priests. They're God's own people. When they enter, they're the most pitiful people on the face of the planet with no hope of living or or, or escaping slavery at all. When they exit, when they come out of the water, they are the most privileged people on the face of the planet because God has chosen them from all the people in the world to be His treasured possession. And so in the water, as they pass through the water, a redemption occurs. And they are redeemed, but you see, that's only half of it. Because something's got to happen with this angry, hateful army that's coming after them with spears and swords and bows and chariots and horses. Because they'll never stop. You can see, Pharaoh's maniacally deluded. He follows them right into the Red Sea. Not a real smart thing to do, but he did it anyway. But if he hadn't done that, they would have gone around. They would have never let the children of Israel go. So in other words, God has got to do something with the evil that is pursuing his people. And so when they go into the Red Sea, he brings the waters of the Red Sea down upon them and absolutely and completely annihilates them. Destroys every single one of them. So the evil that pursued his people is gone. And now, now they're free. Now they can go worship God as they were intended to do. Now their slavery is over. It's behind them. It's wiped out. Why? Because God has redeemed them. That's a great story, folks. It's one of the greatest stories of the Old Testament. And I do not, and you know this about me, I do not doubt its historicity. I know that it actually happened. But it is an Old Testament shadow of a New Testament reality. It teaches us not just about what happened with the children of Israel, but what God did when He redeemed His people from the sin that held them in bondage. Going back to Moses at the time of his commissioning. This happened before the foundations of the world, 1 Peter tells us. Before the foundations of the world, the Holy Trinity among itself decided that the Son would be the deliverer, that the Son would be the redeemer, that the Son would come and save people from their sins. Prophets began to talk about it. If you were here on Sunday, you know that we talked a lot about what the prophets said about the one who is to come. Isaiah puts it this way, this is very specific. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is the Messiah speaking. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, To proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He came to set the captives free. He came to release those who were in bondage from their slavery. But the prophets weren't the only ones who heralded the coming. ...of the Redeemer. The angels themselves enjoyed part of that. We, we know that the angel Gabriel came, talked to Zechariah, talked to Mary. We assume, although we don't know for sure, that he's the angel that talked to Joseph. And this is what that angel said. She, meaning Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins... Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is the essence of eminence. God has come down to be in the midst of his people to save them from their sins. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Galatians. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's the purpose. That's the reason that he came to redeem that which was not holy and to make it holy. Jesus himself over and over again during his ministry said, this is the reason that I have come. The son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He said in John, I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. And so God sent his son just like he sent Moses. But you know, He couldn't send another man. He couldn't send Moses. He couldn't send Elijah. He couldn't send another prophet. He could not send a human being. Because only a holy God can redeem that which is unholy and make it holy again. Only a holy God is able to raise that which is profane, that which is uh, unholy, and lift it up again to the place where they were when Adam and Eve fell. But there's... There's, there's sort of an anomaly here in the New Testament... ...that's different from what we saw in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when they were but there on the western side of the Red Sea... ...they could see the trouble they were in. I mean, all they had to do was look. And they knew they were trapped against the Red Sea. As I said, mountain range on either side. And before them, this very angry, bloodthirsty crowd... They're marching towards them with malintent in their eyes. I mean, they could look out and they could say, we're in trouble. We're, we're, we, we need to do something. We need a redeemer. We need someone to save us. Unfortunately, in the world that we live in, in the world when Jesus came, that's not always the case. In other words, people don't think they need a redeemer. People think they're pretty good themselves. People think that their own good deeds are going to save them. Jesus came and he said that I've come to set you free. This is what he told the people when he was uh, teaching them. He says, I've come to set you free. And if the Son of Man sets you free, you're going to be free indeed. You know what they said to him? They said, we're the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. I guess they forgot about the 400 years they stayed in, in Egypt. But they went on ahead and said, how is it you say you will become free? And that's when Jesus looked at him and he said, truly, truly, I say to you, and those of you who have studied the Gospels know that Jesus doesn't waste that. That means listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone, every single person who practices sin, is a slave. They're in bondage. They're enslaved to the sin and to the master of this world. And he goes on to say that if you do not have a redeemer, if you are not saved by one who can actually save you, you will die in your sins. That's what he says to the people. You see, it's the same situation, except just worse. I mean, because we're not talking about just the life we're talking about eternity here. In other words, the situation that we have is even more impossible than the situation that the children of Israel found themselves in. And, and, and it's not just because we're sinful. I mean, I think most people recognize that. Most people are willing to admit, I am not perfect. The problem is, is they don't realize how perfect that we actually need to be to make it to the destination that we want to go to. In other words, the real problem that we have is not just our sinfulness. It's the holiness of God. It's the perfect holiness. It's the transcendence. It's the standard that He sets. And that is what makes our situation absolutely impossible. And so God sent His Son to redeem those who were in darkness. Same situation exists for us that existed for the children of Israel as they were backed up on the Red Sea. Two problems and a destination. Destination is kind of the same, but not exactly the same. They were going to a mountain to worship God. We're going to the throne of God for an eternity to worship Him. That's the destination that we're after. That's where we want to go. We want to go to heaven to be with Him forever and to worship Him just like the children of Israel went to Mount Sinai. That's the destination. But in order to get there, two things have got to happen. The same two things First of all, we have to leave that which enslaves us behind us. We can't carry our sin with us where we want to go. So therefore, something has to happen to remove that sin from us. And that's the reason God sent his son. That's the reason that a man wouldn't do. That's the reason that it takes a holy God... To redeem that which is unholy, because only God could pay for the sins of those people who had sinned against God. And that's what Jesus did on the cross, folks. That was the purpose. When he died on that cross, God put the sins of those people who will trust in him on him and then poured his wrath out upon them and paid for them. Big fancy word, we call it propitiation. That's why Jesus said to Telestai, it's finished, it's paid, it's done. I paid the price for the sins of those people who are going to trust in me. Every single one of them. But that's only half of that first part because this, this is get a little bit more involved. Because it's not just having our sins forgiven. You see, that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. But it also means if we're going to stand in the presence of God, that we must retain or regain a holiness, a righteousness, a perfect righteousness. And guess what? We're not righteous. So that's why Jesus lived a perfect life. And when we trust in Him as Savior, not only does He forgive our sins, but He imputes, declares us righteous, gives us those white robes when we come out of that water. We're we're sparkling. Not with our own righteousness, but with the righteousness of God that Christ has given us. But again, we have a problem because our enemy... Just like the the hordes of Egypt will pursue us, never stop. Satan will go to the end of of time into the fiery lake thinking that he can defeat God. And so he will pursue those who he thinks he can have relentlessly. And so therefore, not only did Jesus forgive us or make it possible to be forgiven, not only did he give us his righteousness, but he destroyed sin, our enemy once and for all completely wiped it out. We call it expiation. Big word. Hebrews had a beautiful image for it. They did it on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. They would put their hands on a goat. They called it the scapegoat. And then they would send it out of the camp. And that represented God taking the sins away from us as if they had never existed. No baggage Nothing that can follow us. Nothing that can reclaim us. When we are His, we are His forever. Completely. Because Jesus destroyed sin. That is the redemption of holiness. And that is the only redemption that will save you. That is the only redemption that is worth anything. Now... God's redemption is complete. I, I mean, he, when God does something, he does a real good job of it. So he completely redeemed us. The question before you tonight is, does that relate to you at all? I mean, is that something that is yours? Are you redeemed? Are you one of his people or not? Let me just remind you of something, folks. Let me, I know this is redundant, but let me just make sure that I, that I get this across when Adam and Eve fell, they just didn't just fall off the edge of, of, of a ledge. They fell an infinite distance from holiness to sinfulness. They fell into the sewer. And so therefore, if we are going to be back into a holy situation, we have to go back where they were, perfect righteousness. Now, most people are not going to accept the free gift that Jesus offers them. Most people are going to turn it down, and they're going to turn it down for a couple of reasons. One, is they're going to bring God down to our level. That's easy, right? (laughs) I don't like him holy, so I'm just going to bring him down and make him like one of us. He's sort of like his cosmic grandfather. He just winks at us, you know. He tolerates my sinfulness just like I tolerate sinfulness. And so, therefore, I don't have to worry about it. I don't need a redeemer, and if you don't have a redeemer, you will die in your sins. The other thing that we do is we kind of... Elevate ourselves. We kind of make ourselves better than we actually are. We go stand on a little mound and say, I've reached the heights. Actually, my good works, my good deeds, my good intentions are going to be all it takes to work my way back up to God. Not realizing that you cannot possibly attain the holiness that is required to stand in His presence. And so you reject the Redeemer And you die in your sins. My dear friends, there's only one way, and that is through the one who was holy and came to be our Redeemer. You see, you need a Redeemer because the situation you're in is impossible. And the only way that you're going to be able to be redeemed to holiness is if a holy God redeems you. And that's the plan I just gave you. It is through Jesus Christ. So turn around. Repent. (laughs) Embrace your sin. Realize that your sins will condemn you and accept Christ as Savior and Lord and follow Him. Keep His commandments. Amazing thing that God says about His people. When they came out of the Out of the sea, after being redeemed, he says that you are my precious possession. I treasure you. Out of all the peoples on earth, I chose you. I've set you apart. You are a people holy to me. That's the promise that God has made his people. Now the question, the burning question tonight is, are you his people? Because the redemption is there. The redemption is offered to you. What Jesus did is put in front of you and you know it. Are you his people? Are you truly his people? Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That means your own good works, your own good deeds, the philosophies of this world, and certainly not the culture. None of that is going to be the redemption that is going to redeem you to a holy God. Only the redemption of holiness, can redeem that which is unholy. That is my Christmas wish and prayer for you, that you would know the one who is holy by accepting the Redeemer that he sent for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the plan a redemption, the extravagant plan going all the way back to the very foundations of the world. You've set apart uh, those that you have called to yourself, Lord, out of darkness. We give you the glory. We know that there are those who are still in darkness, still uh, considering themselves not to be enslaved and yet... Each and every one of us is enslaved unless we have been redeemed from the sin that separates us from you. I pray that there won't be a person who hears this, a person who will not realize the reason we celebrate this time of year, the reason it's so joyful, the reason that heaven erupted and the angels came down and said glory, hallelujah, was because of redemption. Your redemption that you gave through your son who you sent to die for us. Lord, may all participate, partake in that great gift. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.